I think people shouldn't overlook what this will mean in 10 years. People still remember the first Jordan 1, the first Air Max 90 colorway. Seeing a brand like Nike go out with the billboard that they've done in Tokyo this week, with this globally recognized campaign, with one of the most famous artists in the world, amazing. Humans, myself included, are weird. We love collecting things and always have pretty much since the dawn of time. It's a strange and fun thing that humans just love to do. But more recently, sneaker culture and collecting has grown into a $70 billion market and is now evolving into the digital world. So in this episode, we're diving into the massive opportunity that is brewing in the realm of digital sneakers. A quick reminder that you can watch this episode on the Based AF YouTube channel. That's where all the podcast and weekly videos live. All right, so this digital sneaker movement has been bubbling for a while, but it feels like for the first time it's about to go properly mainstream. So I brought in someone who knows this world far better than me. Secure is an artist out of Melbourne, Australia, who's been in this world since he was a kid, but professionally for the last 19 years or so, and is credited with being one of the first people to properly customize sneakers for pro athletes, rappers, and has worked with the likes of Jordan, Nike, Adidas, Puma, Globe, you name it. We talk about why humans are obsessed with collecting, why sneaker culture has exploded, and why digital sneakers are a massive opportunity to catch before it goes fully mainstream. He is most certainly the man to help us understand what has been happening and what is about to happen in the world of digital sneakers. Secure, it's great to have you on the show. Um, you are involved deeply in all of this sneaker culture um, and have been for a long time. So give us the, the sort of 30 second rundown on, on who you are and, uh, and how you've been involved with all of this. Yeah, sick. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my real name's Matt. I go by Secure. I have since for about 19 or 20 years. Uh, so when I was about 18 years old, I got a job working in a Nike factory outlet, ended up working for Nike for 10 years. I've also worked for Globe, Puma and Converse. And then in amongst all of that, done collabs with like Globe and Jordan brand. Um, I have designed shoes from scratch, which have gone from a, you know, illustration on a page to through to the manufacturing process. I've done 800 odd plus pairs of customs over the years for rappers, professional basketball players, people down the street, birthdays, wedding gifts, you name it. So when it comes to sneakers, I think I'm pretty well integrated into the scene. I started collecting when I was 13 years old. I got a job in a bakery on my 13th birthday after school as a janitor to save money to buy Jordans. And I'm 37 years old now and I'm still in sneakers every day. Love it. You are the person to speak to about all of this. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, really happy to have you. So um, it's going to be a good chat this. And I find this really interesting. I've got into it more from the digital side, which we'll get onto. Um, but I think it's interesting to everyone because there's this human collection element. Uh, humans collect, have been collecting things forever. And just the whole culture of uh, sneaker collection is interesting, whoever you are, I think. So could you frame it for us? And, and I'm asking you to do the, the whole history in, in uh, uh, not enough time, but maybe you could just run it through for someone who um, is kind of new to this world and has maybe stumbled across digital sneakers. Where did this all start? Maybe you could just give us a bit of the history throughout. Yeah, easy. I'll try and make a two-hour lecture, two minutes for you. But I think essentially, like, for me, it, it, the collecting side evolved out of many different things, right? So you have two or three things that came together that really made sneakers what they are today. And for me, it was the emergence of hip-hop and basketball, uh, which were, like, just undeniably a driving force in what made sneakers what it is today. The evolution of collecting from like basketball cards and everything, you know, toys and all the things that young men typically would collect in the 70s, 80s and 90s. And then the emergence of fashion from a male point of view, spurned by hip hop and everything else as well. So for me, like sneaker culture really 
personally was connected to basketball. I was a massive basketball Michael Jordan fan, as a lot of people were in the mid nineties and early two thousands. And I think the everyday sneaker really was like changed or driven to uh, connect you to like a personality type, right? So like people would wear Puma suede if they were break dancers, you would wear Jordans if you played basketball. And I think that it gave you like a, an identity and a subculture to connect to. And then once you, once the brands realized this and they started doing collaborations, limited edition releases, all of a sudden you have something that's not a comic book or a basketball card or a limited edition toy in a favorite toy collection that you have to to go out and buy. And for me, it was always about having something that no one else had. So when I walked down the street and you saw someone looking at your shoes or gave you a nod, it was like, yeah, that that's why I do it. And then now, you know, 30 odd years later, you know, there's however many people with hundreds of pairs of shoes. And I think I probably had 500 pairs at the peak of my collection. But back in 2003, 2004, when I went to the very first Sneaker Freak or Swap Meet in Australia, I thought no one was going to be there because there wasn't this big thing about collecting sneakers. But I think it kind of brought together a lot of things that you can be passionate about, you can flip and make money on. There's always that desirability with hype and scarcity. So it really was driven, I would say, from like basketball, collectible, like collectability culture, and then hip hop. And then once all those things got together, you all of a sudden had the emergence of a new culture in the late 90s. And in the early 2000s, once collabs and everything came in, it just exploded and became what it is today. Yeah, interesting for sure. And um, for like just, you know, the, for, for humans collecting stuff, and you mentioned a lot of it there, but what, what are like the core reasons, do you reckon? Like part of it's maybe personality and, and expressing yourself. Part of it's maybe um, scarcity of having something that other people don't have. Maybe that's status, maybe that's flex. And maybe part of it's capturing a moment in time, these these things often from like our, our teenage years or, or throughout growing up if if you're really into basketball and there's an amazing moment and you have a collectible that reminds you of that moment are those kind of the core reasons why most people collect would you say yeah i think for me it was kind of two driving things um one was a sense of nostalgia so once i got old enough that i had disposable income i wanted to go back and buy all the things i couldn't have as a kid and for me um my best friend in primary school was a model for stussy and he always had brand new sneakers. And I, like my, my family couldn't afford new sneakers. So like I said, I got a job when I turned 13 after school to buy Jordans. And uh, once I got to like 18, 20 and I was working there, for me, it was the hunt of the nostalgia to go and acquire things that connected me to a point in time. Or, you know, I remember Toby had this, so I wanted to go and grab those shoes and have them as an adult. And it was a nice like timestamp for me. The other thing is, I think there's like a real desire in the pursuit of anything, right? And I think... If you're hunting a rare pair of sneakers or trying to find a deal or trying to, you know, figure out where your place is in that, I think the the pursuit of anything, uh, you know, scarce or limited, I can't tell you how many times I spent two years trying to find a pair of shoes, got them in the house and then put them in the wardrobe and not looked at them for five years. It's almost the hunt, right? And then I think for me too, it's like um, back in the day, which was really funny in the early 2000s, like we all had like sneaker personas. There was the guy who wore like Nike ACG stuff. There was the Air Max 90 guy, you know, there was the Dunk SB guy. I wore Puma discs and Air More Up Tempos and like 90s basketball style. So like you really kind of identified people by the style of footwear they were having. And then back then, man, the internet, like, you had to go to Hong Kong to buy stuff, Singapore, Japan. So any true sneakerhead traveled with an empty suitcase and, and brought back something special when they went away. Yeah, I love that. Like the whole nostalgia element. And I, I feel like I kind of missed out on, I, I would have loved to have been a sneaker collector and, and maybe I, I still can now. But um, yeah, it really is reminding me of, 
of uh, those early days. And for me, it was like skateboarding and going around my mate's house playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and all that stuff and skateboarding every weekend. And I always had the friend who was getting the new stuff as well. There's always someone in the friend group who has like all the latest stuff. And yeah, as you get older, that really connects. You can maybe go and buy a few of these things that you, that you couldn't before, which is, is cool. I think you've mentioned it, but could, could you tell us your, your first sneaker purchase? Was that the one that you saved up for when you're working in the bakery? What was that and kind of why was that like an important it was and you mentioned skateboarding i probably should have mentioned that earlier with graffiti it's probably two other things that help you know explode this to where it is now but to answer that question specifically it was a it was a fire red jordan 14 and yes it was the first shoe i bought with my money after working in the bakery um so the jordan 14 was the first jordan that i could afford to pay for with my own money i my parents like really tried to get me the sneakers i wanted i remember i got pod posits instead of penny ones which if you're 37 like I am, means something. But like, so I always kind of got the cheaper version and it was the first time I was able to like get the version that I really wanted of like the premium edition. And it was because I liked Michael Jordan so much. We couldn't watch basketball on free-to-air TV very much down here in Australia, but on Saturdays we got games in the mornings. So I would always get up on a Saturday morning after football, get home and, uh, and watch basketball. And, you know, being that the Bulls were the Bulls, they were always the team on television. So wanted to uh, get a pair of Jordans. And uh, when I was 13, I accomplished that goal. Nice. That's a big moment for sure. Definitely. Um, this is all kind of building to, to where this is moving to digital sneakers, which we'll come on to in a second. But one thing I wanted to get to before, and, and you're talking about your career and customization. And I find that so fascinating because that seems like a whole nother area of this industry. Um, so maybe you could kind of, yeah, just, just introduce us to that because are, are there kind of like rules with customization? Uh, you can make something super limited edition. Obviously, you're a great artist, so for you that would that makes sense. But if I tried to do it, I'd probably mess it up. And I imagine that was terrifying the first time that maybe you did it. So I'd love to hear a bit more about that side of all of this. Well, if you ever want to paint sneakers or do any customization, Luke, you just hit me up and I'll help you out. But um, it's uh, yeah, the first time I ever painted a pair of shoes, I was freaking out because so context. I've never learned art. I never went to school for art. I actually have a finance degree. Um, but I was a graffiti artist from about 16 because for me doing graffiti, it wasn't about vandalism. It was about creating something and having like a photograph to show for my hard work rather than like a balanced spreadsheet. And I just found a lot more, that was a lot more rewarding to me as a person and as an avenue with my friendship groups, like that was the only version of art that like existed in my world. So I would go out five, six nights a week painting and then go to uni in the mornings. And, um, I think the customization begun because I got to an age where I was like, man, I really don't want to get arrested uh, or get in trouble for this. I travel. I like to travel. Like I want a good job. I'm still thinking I'm going to work in a bank. Right. So I'm like, well, I, can't, I don't think a bank will hire me if I've got a criminal record. So I remember it vividly. Um, Sin City is one of my favorite graphic novels I ever read. I, I used to read comic books as a kid and I knew that Nike would just never make a Sin City dunk. It just made no sense. So I was working at the factory outlet one day and I got a triple white pair of dunk samples for like, uh, I was like 80 or a hundred bucks. And I was like, y you know, YOLO, we're just going to give this a go. I didn't know what paints to use. I don't think I'd use a paintbrush for 10 years. And I literally just gave it a go. I still have the shoes um, to this day. So I've kept them and uh, they're like very special to me, but it was literally just an idea to combine two things I love together. And that's kind of always worked well for me in my career. So I ended up going on and doing gallery and museum shows and, you know, I've been doing custom sneakers for 19 years and designing toys and all these sort of things. But if I didn't paint that first pair of shoes, I don't think I ever 
would have had those opportunities. So customizing shoes has exploded. Uh, in the early 2000s, there was only two people in the world doing it full time, me and a guy I call my big brother Sabotage in Singapore. And um, I would say that regardless of our participation, custom sneakers would have become what it is today. But I would say that we are kind of two of the founding fathers of why everyone knows custom sneakers exists. I think Mark won the Nike Talk custom sneaker competition in 2005. I won the Soul Collector competition in 2007. And then it kind of started to blow up after that. And um, it's been a wild ride, man. I, I sit here and you can probably see some sneakers over my back like shoulder, like I sit here painting shoes, looking at shoes, drawing sneakers every day, and it's not a bad way to use a finance degree, hey? Yeah, it's a cool combo, man. And, and I can see how all the NFT and crypto side probably comes into this in a second. It's, it's all these um, roots of that. Is, is there anything that you'd like to show us behind you or anything? Or is there anything that we, yeah, we could I just, see? Um, yeah, I just finished these for um, Punk 4901. So Nice, that um, is unreal. So they're cool. And, and then... Um, just to prove that they are wearable, um, this is a pair of Dead Fellas Customs. So I've worn these like, I don't know, seven to ten times. So like they're all fully wearable and I think that's the whole point. And to your point about like desirability, uh, collectability, scarcity, I think as soon as the NFT communities figured out like who I was because I'd participate in so many communities, sneakers, one pair, like one of a kind, kind of like mixed in and now I'm doing a whole bunch of NFT customs. So yeah that's sick they look amazing they are really really thank you obviously next level stuff um all right this is great because now we have some context of you and also the history of sneaker culture and um and customization and stuff as well so it brings us nicely onto kind of your collection and into digital stuff as well um you showed us some stuff there could you tell us a bit more about your collection we'll start with physical and then maybe rolling into digital just stuff you love uh, maybe there's a, your top three uh, sneakers or oh yeah i'd love to get into your collection oh that's like trying to pick your top three favorite movies luke <laughs> it's, uh, it's hard um i think for me uh, so i got up to about 500 pairs at my peak uh, when i was working at nike you just accumulate shoes i i think for a big part of my life i was buying probably two or three pairs of shoes a week um which sounds like super reckless uh which i can appreciate but i think when you're so emerged in it and it's a part of your lifestyle and working for Nike, you get 50% off. So like, you know, it becomes easier to acquire and justify the spend. So I was always a Jordan guy. Then I got into Nike SBs. Underlying all of that, I wore a lot of Puma disc. It's not a very popular style from a collectability stance, but for me, I just love that they were different and you couldn't get them in Australia. So whenever I went to Hong Kong or Singapore or Malaysia or Japan for work or appearances, I'd always bring back Puma discs because they were so different to what anyone else wore down here. Um, I have a soft spot for New Balance 574s because I used to wear them when I used to do a lot of graffiti. Um, so I was like quite varied uh, as a collector and I think I kind of just ended up trying to hunt scarcity which Nike SB tapped into so well. So being that if you know about skate, like SB just was the biggest thing in the world for so long and it's actually just had a massive resurgence in the last year and a half as well which has been great to see. Sabotage I mentioned earlier actually has a pretty iconic SB collab. So yeah, for me I think I got up to about 500 and then Luke to be honest, shoes degrade, right? Like they don't last forever. So uh, when I left Nike, I was like, so you can't sell shoes when you work at Nike. You get fired immediately. So you get terminated. So I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pairs of Nike shoes and Honestly, Luke, I have a finance degree. Became financially irresponsible <laughs> to own that many pairs of shoes. So I'll give you an example. I went to the original Nike Yeezy launch party and I got a pair of Nike Yeezys for like 250 bucks. 
they were like four and a half grand by the time I stopped working at Nike. And I'm like, if I wear that shoe once, it's worth a thousand dollars. So if I just sell it for an half grand, well, I was trying to buy a house, Luke. So I ended up selling all my shoes. No judgment here. Yeah, that's fair. Hence the studio. And then um, it was interesting because I was only, I wasn't a reseller. The whole concept of reselling didn't exist in the early 2000s. So I just had size 10 of everything. And um, so yeah, ended up piecing that out over six months to a year and got down to probably about a hundred. I'm probably back up to about 200 to 250 pairs not including all my stock. So all my collabs and stuff where I stash 10 to 15 pairs of everything I design just as like a museum kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it, it goes up and down. And then digitally, obviously we have huge opportunities now in the space through Puma, Addy, Nike, Artifact, Lacoste. Um, and then you've got guys like the Bricktopians doing 3D printed shoes and uh, Hoppers recently did a collab. So like there's so many ways that this space now crosses over. And I think that, you know, we saw this week with Artifact and other things that if we can, in, if we can indoctrinate and bring the sneaker audience over, it's going to be huge because 0.0001% of sneakerheads know what NFTs are right now. Interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, it really does feel like that moment. And we're seeing it, yeah, with dot swoosh and stuff. We'll talk about this stuff in a second with what Nike are up to. Um, do you have, you don't have to say, but do you have a, like a total value on your sneaker collection? And what would be your potentially like most valuable uh, piece would you say if you want to share um to answer your question before which i forgot to answer <clears throat> my three favorite shoes uh would be the jordan 14 just because of that nostalgic story um the air more up tempo which was scotty pippen's 1996 dream team shoe i just love that sneaker um it's not a very collectible shoe but same thing i was 10 years old watching the dream team i love scotty pippen and then the third one is a pair of dunks that no one cares about that i just think is cool um, it's a pair of dunks designed by a store called Nort, and they're designed based on the Alcatraz um, prison and the three prisoners that escaped. So they have stingray skin on the side, wetsuit material. It's like an obscure shoe that no one cares about. I just, I've been to Alcatraz and I just think it's a cool story. So they're probably my thief favorites. Um, when it came to reselling, I had three or four things that were really limited. I had a, um, obviously that pair of Yeezys I just mentioned the original Nike ones. Um, I had a pair of unreleased LeBron Air Zoom Gens, which were laser engraved and gold, which were just super scarce. And then I had acquired a few pair of like player editions, which are basically pairs that are made specifically for NBA players to wear on court. So they usually have their initials on them or a very specific colorway that never gets into production runs. So it's very rare. Um, I don't know if any of them would have sold for more than that three or four grand, uh, like the Yeezy, but it had a few shoes in that basket. Um, I don't know what my sneaker collection's worth. I, I I would hate to think, but at the peak, it would have been worth well about a third of the deposit of this house. So yeah, nice. Yeah, that's uh, that's cool to hear for sure. All right, so let's dive into the world of digital sneakers a little bit more because there's a lot of the same reasons that you'd buy digital goods for all the things that we've talked about with nostalgia um, or uh, rarity, scarcity, and um, yeah, just meaning something to you but maybe you could give us your take on what's happening here so we have like talked about artifact before on the show but we can recap that and also especially what nike are doing with dot swoosh we're beginning to see this kind of roll out to to everybody so yeah mate what's your kind of view on what's happening right now and uh yeah is, is this where stuff is is heading and why maybe yeah absolutely luke so i guess what i can do is i've got like 14 years of working for nike addy puma little nike puma converse and globe in my 
back pocket. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my corporate hat on and explain to you why I think they're doing it from a corporate point of view. And then I'm going to give you the customer point of view. So for me at a corporate level, if we use Nike as an example, um, there's approximately a $9 billion secondary market trade globally on sneakers right now, of which Nike get no revenue, Luke, right? So they get no access to any of that money. It just exists purely for resellers. That is projected to be $30 billion by the end of this decade. So what do we do by providing digital assets before the physical assets? Well, you give people the opportunity without having to ship the shoes to trade their digital assets to the people that are going to redeem them. But what you really do is give Nike an opportunity to take 7 to 10% of every transaction. So I think if you talk about from a corporate point of view, what's going to drive it, well, everyone in the world already knows what the tick is. Everyone in the world already has basketball shoes. But what might they not have? A digital version of their sneaker collection. And is that going to be desirable? Well, it is if it's going to be interoperable with Fortnite or Roblox or whatever else, right? NBA 2K, for example, or whatever artifact are building. So I think from a corporate point of view, you have a gargantuan revenue stream available to you. If you look at the capsules that have been released within Fortnite as well, we know that gaming has a huge opportunity for revenue and you know, look, people spent a billion dollars on raid passes in Pokemon Go last year. So the money's there and big brands through esports have been doing things like making compression stocks or, or gaming chairs or like doing Cloud9 t-shirts, which is great, but it ain't hitting the bank account in a major way. You've got to get in the game and to get in the game, your assets have to be digital. So I think that from a big brand point of view, this for the first time, because of the, ver the verification it provides you on the blockchain, you can now actually sell digital assets without just having people frivolously have digital collectibles with no purpose behind them. So from a corporate point of view, it makes enormous sense uh, for a variety of other reasons other than I just mentioned, sustainability, AR, VR is going to be massive as well. There's a whole bunch, I think. Uh, if you had an hour, I'd bore you with it, but... I think just the dollars speak and I think it makes sense. From a customer point of view, look, if I've got 500 shoes in the wardrobe, no one knows about it. Um, I have the opportunity now to flex them. I have the opportunity through a life that I'm spending more digitally. Uh, I talk to people online more than I do in real life now. So I have the opportunity through that to maybe customize a PFP with dynamic traits that can use my Nike wardrobe or my Adidas wardrobe or my Puma wardrobe. When I play my um, NBA 2K, I might be able to VR myself in and wear the shoes that I have as a digital asset or collectible. I think that, um, or I have the opportunity to have an awesome looking on cyber gallery filled with all my collectibles in it. And that becomes kind of like the background of my room, right? Only anyone online can see it at any time. So I think there's huge reasons from a customer point of view why it's exciting but also from a brand point of view, why it makes all the sense in the world. And that's why they're going on layer twos because ETH transactions are too expensive and you can't sell the digital Air Force One for $19.82 on ETH when a transaction today cost me $40. That is very well framed because I've not heard anyone really um, yeah, contextualize it from, from the company point of view and from the, the user point of view, which is really helpful. So, And, you know, we talk about these experiences that are, in the future, well, you know, obviously Fortnite and Roblox and all these things are happening now. And we're starting to see even as well, like mods in GTA, I saw someone running around with their artifact sneakers, um, which looked amazing. But there was that NBA demo, which um, I'll show that was able to, I think, photo scan somebody on stage and then put them in the game uh, in, in a real life match and stuff. So so this stuff isn't far away now. It's um, So it makes a lot of sense and all the stars are aligning. And if you're kind of listening and watching this now, it's like going, 
ding 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 like this is this is where stuff's heading which is really interesting i, I did have at one point i wanted to ask your opinion on because when you look at like the kind of physical market and outside of sneakers but generally like luxury brands and you have kind of obviously like fakes have always existed of stuff whether it's uh louis vuitton bags or whatever and probably for the brands like obviously they don't want to encourage it but it kind of sort of spreads the message of the brand a little bit if you have a fake it makes the actually authentic original uh, more desirable when we look at kind of uh, digital collectibles and nfts you obviously want to be the person who owns the real one and you want the authentic one which you can prove uh, on the blockchain but also when the kind of 3d files are being released it's a bit different in the digital world because that 3d file is exactly the same so like when people are modding it in gta do, do, do you need the kind of like original whatever it is like artifacts reptile sneaker when you can get the 3d model and just flex it anyway or is that just the the human knowledge of you've got it and you can prove that you have it i'm not phrased that very well but it's I, I get what you're saying. I definitely understand. Luke, just for reference, they make fakes of my customs right, too, okay. which is kind of funny. I've seen them in real life multiple times. I actually tried to chase a guy down to get a photo of them, and I think he thought I was just chasing him. It was very awkward. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so look, I think from my side, fake versus real is all about who you are as a person. Like, I think I have no, I don't personally judge people for having fakes because if that's what you can afford, and that's what makes you happy and you're looking for that sense of status and you can't afford a $15,000 bag but you've got a $50 version that looks the same, uh, who am I to judge you, right? I, I, to some degree, do think being a brand person that it is brand damaging. Um, part of a tool for, or mechanism for marketing or brand building is being able to manage scarcity. Um, so I do think that there is, you know, although I don't make the judgment on the person acquiring the good, I think from a brand lens, it's obviously uh, brand damaging in my opinion. Um, but I think from a digital point of view, like the RFID chips, the verification that's going to be available in these products, it, it fills in so many gaps. And one of the things I'll say too, Luke, for me is like the way that we'll be able to acquire goods is also going to be significantly more improved. No more backdooring stock out the back of stores. No more bots raiding all these launches. No more people hacking the website and, you know, putting all the Yeezys in the cart and checking them out before you get a chance to buy them. I think the fairness of distribution and, and the equity of distribution will, should be significantly improved through this process for me. And then, you know, the releasing of the 3D files and selling the original, I think is the same as having a print from, you know, uh, Picasso on my wall that I got for $19.99 at the store at the Guggenheim or having a Picasso on the wall of a museum for $4 million. It's a different customer. It's a different mindset. It means something completely different to each person. But when I look at the $19 version, I remember going to the exhibition. It's like a, it's like a timestamp. It's a photograph. It's nothing more than a version. I think original always has value because people desire to have the original. And I think it, there's an intangibility to that. And the blockchain providing provenance to the original version of files to me is the reason I got into NFTs. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And um, I, yeah, I, I always hang on to that idea, but then I couldn't quite connect it with the the sort of uh, volume of three D files that would be going out. But yeah, you're exactly right. It's a different market, and and to be able to prove it, regardless, is is a thing in itself, isn't it? Is um, yeah, that that's very cool. All right, and uh, I wanted to ask you as uh, as well as we sort of um, head towards the end, which is, it's been epic chats. So thank you. Um, have you got any kind of where or where are you looking? Not not necessarily tips, and certainly not um stuff for people to to. Uh, invest in or anything but where are you kind of looking in terms of the digital sneaker world at the minute where what's kind of catching your attention yeah i, I mean um you, you've gone over artifacts so i won't go over too much but i think the forge this week is is a monumentous part of like sneaker history i, I think 
people shouldn't overlook what this will mean in 10 years. People still remember the first Jordan 1, the first Air Max 90 colorway. Yes, Artifact have other sneakers with Nike before this, but this is the first globally promoted. People were fighting, going like, oh, Nike aren't going to like tweet about it. They're, Nike have been tweeting nonstop about Artifact this week. They have, what, 4.8 million people on Twitter. Hundreds of millions of people will see it all over their social media. If we want to onboard everyday normies, seeing a brand like Nike go out with the billboard that they've done in Tokyo this week, with this globally recognized campaign, with one of the most famous artists in the world, amazing. The same week, Adidas go out with alts, so you can build your DNA now and you've got a persona. You can link your token to the Adidas app and you're going to get exclusive opportunities and access, which is where I think this will go. Puma is doing their redeemable sneakers and you get artists now producing their own sneakers through 3D printing and stuff like Bricktopian. So for me, all of that leads into what I think will be the biggest one, which will be Dot Swoosh. Uh, I think Dot Swoosh will be the digital sneaker revolution. I think nothing as impactful as Dot Swoosh will probably happen in the, in the last 15 years for sneakers or the next 15. I think it's going to be that big. And I tell this story, Luke, of I was working at Nike when Nike started Nike SB and 6.0, which was their like extreme sport division. And everyone in skate called them culture vultures, right? They're like, we don't want you. There was, there was articles in Thrasher about F Nike. And like, you know, it was very common. Nike is the biggest skateboarding brand in the world now by a mile. It's not even close. I'd say they're probably three or four times bigger than anybody else. So they don't take L's. <laughs> so for me, they're also big enough to force rules around interoperability, which is a massive problem we've got right now. File type, file size, digital like versions, right? Like what does interoperability mean? Because everything's different. Is it pixelated like a noun? Is it not? Is it like, so all these things I think for me have uh, Nike are like aligning themselves to go, okay, we're going to own this space and we're going to, we're going to rule it. And for me, I think acquiring some Air Force Ones out of this Nike drop isn't a bad idea. I think just part of sneaky history. I think there's a thing called the Nike Crypto Dunk out there, which is only like 0.1 right now, which is actually the first Nike NFT ever released. I've bought a couple because that's a piece of history. I think if we look at where this is going, I truly believe that we won't be lining up at Foot Locker's in five years' time to buy limited edition sneakers. You'll be buying them on your sneakers app as a digital collectible, which will then be redeemed at a point in time in the future. But you have the opportunity to trade that digital collectible between purchase time and redemption time, which means that Nike keeps skimming the whole way through the process like a skipping stone on a lake, mate. It's just going to be printing money. And for me, I like to be a part of things early and getting anything that I'm passionate about or that I can connect to now, I think will be really beneficial down the track, but I'm looking forward to going to a Foot Locker, buying a Mellow 5 and getting through a digital redemption station, a digital collectible version of that shoe that I can sell or play in games. And I think this is the world that we're getting into, right? Like we all do more online than we ever would have expected. We just need the barriers to success to reduce. My dad doesn't know why he waves his phone over a machine and money comes out. He doesn't care. <laughs> and I think we need to get to a point like that, right? And we're not too far away. The tech that's being developed is amazing. So for me, I think it's going to be an everyday part of a sneakerhead's life in the not-too-distant future. So I encourage people to learn about it now so you don't find out about it too late. Yes, that is so well said. And it's like all the pieces have gone dropped into place there because 
uh, yeah, you know, I was watching it. I understand the, the NFT side of stuff, but to have the sneaker background from you and, and the real understanding is like, okay, the plan makes sense of what's happening now. So that is invaluable for sure. Thank you very much for that. And um, uh, yeah, well, uh, just before we wrap up, um, tell us what you're working on personally as well. Uh, what are you up to at the moment that, that uh, people should check out as well? Thank you for asking, Luke. Yeah, I think, um, well, I'm customizing shoes every day and I'm streaming them on Twitch and I do a weekly space about sneakers and NFTs. So if anyone wants to listen to me, they're welcome to do it there. Um, my grand project at the moment is called RoboGhost. I won't go into it and bore you and your audience, but it's uh, for 19 years I've been drawing and painting these characters in every collab I've ever done, in walls all over the world. And uh, my NFT project will bring that to life for the first time through a narrative, which will be really exciting. We're putting out a collection called Sneaker Cards right now, which is 52 digital cards dedicated to archiving my favorite customs from my past, which will be the Genesis collection for RoboGhost. So at the moment, RoboGhost Sneaker Cards is the priority, full-time, full steam ahead on that. Uh, we're kind of ready to go as soon as the market decides to not be going red every day. And um, otherwise, as you can see in the background, just painting shoes, designing toys and all that stuff. But my name's SecureD with a K and I have that locked up pretty much everywhere except for one or two places. So you can find me wherever you like to hang and I should be there. Awesome. I'll pop all the links, of course, in the notes. So I encourage people to, to check you out and everything uh, that you're doing. But um, yeah, thank you so much. That was a, a brilliant chat. It's uh, aligned a lot of cool stuff for me and uh, I know people find it massively helpful. So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on, Luke. So there we go. I loved that. I thought Secure smashed it. Unveiled why this is a big opportunity to understand right now. Another piece of the metaverse puzzle falling into place. Uh, you know what to do to not miss another video. Hit subscribe on the Based AF YouTube channel or follow on your podcast platform. And I will see you for next week's episode.